You're listening to Riverview Church Conversations, a podcast for the spiritually curious. Well, hello and welcome back to the Riverview Church Conversations podcast. Uh, my name is Ryan and I'm joined by Reese. How's it going, Reese? Very well. Thank you, Ryan. I'm doing excellent today. Mm. It's, uh, it's quite a day in the office. There's all sorts of things going on outside uh, where we're sitting and it's it's a bit of a madhouse really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I mean, there's boxes that are getting crushed. I don't really, don't don't really know what's know. going on. I don't know what's happening. Maybe we should have uh, asked the, if there was assistance needed. They're, they're but, destroying the evidence. Yeah. No, there's, there's no bad evidence here. Only good things. I don't know what's happening. Now, Reese, I've, uh, I've got a curly one to start off with you. Ooh, um, you it is going to be a day of curly ones, but... To start off our time, if you could change your name, what would you change it to? Well, see, when I was a kid, I used to um, resent my given name because I thought it was weird and sounded funny. And I wanted to change my name, get this, yeah. to Gary. You you not, you're not actually having a laugh? No, <laughs> I'm serious. When I was like a five-year-old kid, my favorite rugby league player, Gary Freeman, I wanted to be like Gary Freeman. So I was like, man, oh, Gary sounds like a manly name. There you go. What about you? I don't know. I think I'd go something exotic. Like Juan. Uh, Felipe. Oh. <laughs> wow. No, I don't know. I'd, yeah, I'll have to consider that more just in case I do ever need to change my name. What about, what, what's your heritage? What's your family heritage? Uh, it's German English. It like originally like Gurkla. What, you could you could have a name like Hans. Hans. Hans is a I fine Christian well name. As a, as a Hans. Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah. Why yes. not? Why not? Yes. Hey, now, Reese, today is... Um, it's a big conversation. Yeah, I feel like we've been, um, even just planning this episode, we've been um, talking ourselves in circles a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's always kind of been on the horizon to dive into the conversation of evil and suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think we recognize that even for both of us as individuals, there's so many questions that that surround this, this topic. Um, obviously, this is a huge topic for things like apologetics. It's a, it's a massive mm-hmm. stumbling block for those people of faith and yeah, those maybe who um, aren't of faith. Um, and man, I have so many questions to ask about evil and suffering. Thankfully, yeah. you, you can stop asking me and you can ask our distinguished guest today. <laughs> Come on. Today, we're joined by Dr. Brian Harris. And if you're not familiar with Dr. Brian Harris, he is quite the heavy hitter. Mm. He's principal of Vos Seminary, which is a local institution in Perth. Uh, and he is also... The Distinguished Visiting International Scholar of Spurgeon's College Hello. in the UK and pastor at large for the Carey Group, which is kind of a network of churches in Perth. And funnily enough, Brian Harris is also the pastor of my childhood church in New Zealand. What was the name of that church? Mount Roskill Baptist Church. There you go. So yeah, he's um, him and I go way back. Mm. So uh, I'm looking forward to... Um, not just talking about evil and suffering, but... Um, Reminiscing a little. Yeah, <laughs> finding out how much of a little toad I was when I was 10. So, uh, yeah, enjoy that. Well, Dr. Brian Harris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Reese. Good to be with you. Yeah, um, we've, we've spoken a little bit earlier in the podcast about your credentials, which are many and varied. But I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself, um, how you how you spend your time, other than um, obviously writing books and speaking and thinking about deep things. How did you find your way to Western Australia? 
Right. Well, I guess a couple of things. So, Reese, how did I find myself myself to Western Australia? Well, you were part of the church I was at in mm, yes. Northland for a number of years, so Indeed. that was a good reason to leave, I'm sure. Yes, a little, a little toad of a 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, you've grown up pretty nicely, so, oh, so, so, so that, 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 that's great at any rate. Um, yeah, so I came over here to serve as principal at both seminary. I have been doing that for the last 17 years now, so goodness, the years have, have rushed away. Uh, what do I do other than doing that? Uh, well, I'm very much a family man, I think. Uh, so I'm married, three three grown adult children, two grandchildren, uh, mm-hmm. and I think the, the, my favourite thing is just to spend time with the family, mm-hmm. and that's really good, and that's that's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. nice, nice. Well, um, well, we've got a big topic ahead of us today, don't we? Uh, yes. We're we're looking yes. at the topic of uh, evil and suffering, mm. yeah. and um, we were talking a little bit off air, Brian, about this that. There's many stumbling blocks for us as believers or even those who aren't believers. Um, but I would say this is probably the most personal of stumbling blocks for many people because sure. this is not just a, a head thing. This is also a heart thing because for lots of evil and suffering um, is, a, is a personal thing. Mm. And so I think I'd just love to start our conversation um, off by asking, I mean, the biggest of all questions and maybe a question that you would get from uh, young kids but would remain really fixed in our minds and in our hearts no matter how old we are. And that is around why bad things um, happen to good people. Right, right. Well, well, it is one of the oldest of questions. Mm. And, um, and, and, Ryan, I think in terms of on-screen, I do want to say very much so I'm, I'm conscious that there probably are, are people in two categories who are mm. listening to this now. Uh, category number one is this is an interesting question. This is, uh, you know, I don't quite understand this, but actually my life is going quite well. It's not a personal question, but, you know, I have seen that some people struggle, mm. poor people, mm. uh, and it's, it's, it's like a little bit removed, but it is an important question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then there are people who are maybe even quite angry, hurt, uh, really quite confused. You know, how come has God allowed this to happen to me? And it, it's not theoretical at all. It's 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 out of the deepest angst, and it's it's hard to answer for yeah, both yeah. both yeah. groups. And 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 I do want to acknowledge those for whom this is not a theoretical question. Uh, that life has gone really badly for you, and and you're wondering if God knows what what what's going on, if mm. God even cares for you anymore. And um, yeah, I, I I I would really want. To say, just just remember that the 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 Christian story is a long story. Mm. Uh, you, you know, the Bible tells us the story of God, and it's a story that's in five acts. And and the first act is of creation, and the second is of the covenant that God makes with Israel, and the third is of the Christ story and of of, of the cross and resurrection, mm. and the hope that comes from that. That uh, the fourth act is of the church, which is the act we find ourselves in now. Uh, and then the fifth act is of consummation. So there are those, those five C's, uh, creation, covenant, uh, Christ, church, mm. uh, consummation. And it's important to to recognize that, that we're in act four, we are not in act five. Yeah. And so if people are in the midst of real struggle and suffering, uh, act four is not act five. And sometimes that's all we can hold on to and say this is not yeah. actually the end. Uh, and and so, so the Bible itself ends with those extraordinary words, uh, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, uh, and and then finishes with the final Amen, and and Amen of course means may this be so, mm. and 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 you 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 can imagine John as he writes that, just saying, you know, I've seen this vision, I've seen all that's going to happen, and something in my heart just says, come Lord Jesus, 
and you hear the echo coming back, may this be so, because actually mm. there is this, this isn't the easiest place. We are not in Act 5, we are in Act 4, yeah. uh, and life is often very, very, very difficult indeed. Mm. So, so I want to acknowledge that, and, and, and if, you know, whoever it is that, 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 that's listening, if your life is in that kind of zone at the moment, mm. um, let's remember that there is another tomorrow. And the Bible is very adamant. Paul is very adamant. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we of all people most be pitied because if there's no resurrection, if there's no life beyond yeah. the grave, then there is actually no justice. So, so, so let's be very clear about this. In the Bible, justice is an eschatological category. No, no, that starts mm. to sound theoretical, mm. doesn't it? But, but when we say justice is an eschatological category, we mean that, that ultimately things are set right, not in Act 4, the act we find ourselves in, mm. but in Act 5. If you don't believe yeah, well, that, well, then you just have to accept that the world will forever be unjust because we we know, it doesn't matter whether you're an atheist or a believer, we just know that justice is not always attained this side of the grave mm. uh, and that's the reality of life. Mm-hmm. Oh. But but then I guess that comes to the question of why. So why does life have to be like that? Uh, and it, it's, it is the logical question that, that people ask and they say, so if God is loving, so so so, so, so let me give you the classic formulation of yeah, this question yeah, because yeah, yeah, this is not a new question and theologians have been asking this for, for literally thousands of years. And it's, it's really a question with, with a couple of dimensions. So people say, so if God is all loving mm. and God is all knowing and God is all powerful and God is everywhere present, why do people suffer? They, they, yeah, they, yeah. And, and, and they say, listen, if any one of those four was not true, then you could understand it. In other words, if God was uh, all loving, but he didn't know about what you were going through, mm-hmm. then you could say, well, you're suffering because unfortunately this loving God who, who, who does have the power to sort it out and who is everywhere present but just doesn't know about your yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's why it's not happening. Or you could say, well, this God is very loving, but unfortunately not that powerful. So you have a really big problem. So, you know, the tough part of the story is that actually God, God can't do anything about it. Well, well, then that would be okay. But we don't say that. We say God is all powerful. Mm. And and you could, of course, say, well, it could be that God is very powerful and he's very present <laughs> and he knows everything, but he's just not very nice. Mm. <laughs> you know, so yeah, he's, yeah. he's like oh. giggling away and delighted. Psychopath. He's, he's, yeah, the <laughs> psychopathic God, you, you know, so, so, so there's no issue. The, the issue is because we affirm all of these four that we say God is actually this loving yeah, God. Yeah. He does actually no, he is actually here and he does have the power to do something about it. Mm. So the question then comes, so why no action? Why do we actually suffer? And, and I think you have to get right into the actual kind of creation, the, mm. the, the, the first act to start to understand that, the first act we find in the Bible, that God mm. makes the world. And, I mean, God has many options, uh, but the option he, he makes is that he decides to make human beings in, in his own image. And that's an extraordinary choice that God makes. Not yeah, He's been yeah. creating up until this point, and he's been making things, objects. Uh, and those things don't have any real choice. They don't have any freedom. If you're made to be a rock, you will be a rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're made to be a tree, you will be a tree. Uh, that's the way it is. Mm. But but God says with humans, perhaps I'll do something different here. These, these will be in my own image. And, and with that comes the gifting of freedom. Uh, the gifting of choice, uh, the ability to say yes and to say no. Uh, and with the giving of free choice comes comes the ability to, to abuse that, 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 that choice as well. So, so could God have made a lovely world where everything just went on beautifully? Yes, but it wouldn't have been a world in which people had choices. We decides to make a world with choice, mm-hmm. and he makes humans in a particular way. And, 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 and these opening chapters of the Bible give, give a this haunting vision of what it means to be human. So, so Genesis chapter 2 says that, that God makes 
makes us from the dust of the earth, takes the dust of the earth and then breathes into us. Mm. Uh, and that's what it means to be human, to be the dust of the earth and the breath of God, to be frail but majestic. Yeah, well. You know, just this, you can be blown away just like that, mm. but you, you you actually have God inside of you. So, so there is a sense in which when we say, you know, why suffering, well, the only chapter of the Bible would say, what were you expecting? You you had choice and you are just the dust of the earth, but it's an extraordinary story because God is nevertheless with you and therefore something quite remarkable might come from this. Mm. So, mm. So, so we find ourselves in a story that has many twists and turns and those twists and turns mean that sometimes we go through extraordinary difficult, mm. uh, difficult days. Mm. I, I have I've had this thought that stuck with me, and I, I hope I can express this in a coherent sense. But I sometimes I've wondered: is the question of evil and suffering merely a human problem? I mean, I I know some people would say that there's natural evil in that um, a lion might a herd of lions might um, kill and eat an elephant, and an sure. elephant hundred meters down the down the road might tear the bark off a tree. Sure. Um, but they may, they're, they're probably not conscious yeah. of whether or not that is good or bad. They're just sure. following instinct. They're doing what lions and elephants do. Yeah. Whereas um, us as humans, you know, we kind of the I think, therefore I am. Right. I'm aware that I can make a judgment as to whether this is good or evil and therefore I'm aware that there is evil. Right, right. You know, if we removed humanity from the equation, is evil and suffering a thing? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's even worth commenting on, but it's a thought that I have thought about a lot, particularly in the past week. Yeah, yeah and, and we, you probably have to put it just slightly differently because we know that pain is a real thing. So animals yeah, right, can okay. suffer pain. Mm -hmm. Whether they experience that as evil is a separate question. And I think your point that consciousness uh, is an extraordinary quality of human beings. Now, now, animals are conscious of being, but they probably don't reflect upon that consciousness. Right. So I am a consciously reflective being, and that, that's a mm. key part of what makes me human. And so I can sit down and I, because I have deep memory, I remember backwards, and because I have anticipation, I remember forwards. And all, all this means that I actually agonize in a way that actually if I don't have that kind of con consciousness, if I don't have deep memory, if I don't have forward projection, I mm. probably don't existentially suffer in the mm. same. Do feel pain. Let's not pretend that animals don't, don't feel pain, but I probably don't have that existential angst in the same way. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. And and yes, it does does raise all kinds of questions. So has God built a flawed world? No, let's just try and be deeply biblical in the way in which we think mm. about things. Because people, I think, quite often misread Genesis chapter 1. So, so Genesis chapter 1 tells about God's making the world. And we're told that he looks at what he makes and he says it's good, it's good. And then he makes humans and says that that's very good. And, and we have kind of inserted the world. This is a world that's like perfect in every single way. Actually, the, the, the Hebrew concept behind that word mm. good is just fit for purpose. It worked. So, mm. so, so God makes a world that works. And you know what? A world with a hierarchical food chain does actually work. Works quite nicely. <laughs> uh, you, you know, so whales scoop up a whole lot of things and they get scooped up by other things. That gets you. I mean, that's the way the world is. You, you might think... Oh, you know those poor people up lower down the food chain, but mm. that's the world that is. And and by and large, we sense that the world is fairly harmonious and happy, and uh, and and most creatures live the lives that they live, and and then they end. But but human beings are are 
imago dea, that they're in the image of God, there is a sense of there's something quite mm. different happening here. Uh, we are conscious carbon. We, we know that we are, uh, and that brings a whole lot of other questions mm. for us. Uh, I'm interested to ask then on the back of maybe our conversation about some of the create, creation narrative, mm-hmm. there's an interaction that happens between God and humanity around a tree, mm-hmm. and it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And you're right, I think, um, you know, as we read the biblical narrative, that Eden is a pretty harmonious place, mm-hmm. um, even with... And around an alignment of wills. But then there's this moment that takes place where God says, you know, hey, I don't want you to eat from this tree. Yeah. And and I get the sense that that wrestle is something that right from the beginning we've still struggled with in, in trying to define good and evil. Can you speak into that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So so so, so classically then, you know, this this perfect garden has made all this this wonderful, beautiful garden. Though, 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 let's remember they still had to work in the garden. Mm. Uh, you, you know, it's quite intriguing, and they still mm. had to name the animals in the garden. Mm. So, so, so we sometimes kind of get this impression of you know, everything was done. Still stuff to uh, do. Yeah, there, well, there, there was still yeah. stuff to do. So, 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 so let's project that backwards into Act Five, eternity. Mm. There will still be stuff to do because <laughs> that, 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 that's actually part of a perfect. So we're not just going to be sitting in the one place doing nothing for it. Well, let's hope not. Yeah, because that sounds be boring. <laughs> More than a little boring, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so there's still, and, and it's very creative stuff. So, mm. so, so notice creativity isn't limited to God. I mean, the first task that God requires of of, of the human is is name the animals, name the birds, brings them. Them, them, them to Adam, and he watches to see what Adam will, mm. will name them. And, and naming something is extraordinarily significant because when you name something, there's something about a name that brings something to life. Mm. And God is saying, so what are you going to make of this God? And what are you going to make mm. of this world? And and in and, and, and one of my books, I talk about building a world with a better name. Uh, and, and I think that that is the human task that we keep on as builders yeah. because our very first act was to build the world and to build with a better name, to think actually this thing which comes to me is this is a giraffe, this is a whatever, <laughs> and I bring it to life with, with, with how I name it. So so that's intrinsically part of, of being human. But, but then because I am dust of the earth, uh, breath of God, and... And because I'm a free will person, and I have to be free will because I'm imagine a day. I, how do I reflect what God is like if I have no choices that I can possibly make? Yeah, well, so, yeah, so, yeah. so, so there's always the possibility that, that that I choose against. But, but what's happening in that that original, what we see as an act of defiance against God? Not, not, not people interpret what happens mm, there mm, differently. Mm. So, so I'm, I'm just telling you the way I see it. Yeah, yeah, and, right. and and and. And I'm in good company, so so, so people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, <laughs> yeah. and others see it in much the same way, but not everyone agrees. Yeah. So so you say, what's wrong with eating from the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Surely it's good to actually know the difference between good and evil. Uh, Bonhoeffer would say, yes, but is that what, what they were doing, where they actually really wanted to know the difference between good and evil, or were they wanting to know the difference between good and evil unaided on their own? Was this an act of actually staking human autonomy from God, saying, actually, if we're able to make all our decisions outside of relationship with God, Mm. then actually God becomes redundant and God becomes surplus to requirements. And Bonhoeffer isn't just clasping at straws there because he goes on to say, and I think he's absolutely right, I mean, look at Genesis 11, building the the Tower of Babel. what's, What's bad about building a tower to try and get to heaven? I mean, it's... It's misguided, obviously, mm. and mm. and obviously eleven stories or however high it was wasn't going to hack it. <laughs> uh, but uh, but 
in principle, what's wrong with that? Says Bonhoeffer, it's because you're trying to get to heaven unaided. You're trying to say, God, we don't need you. God, mm. you surplus to requirements. So, so says Bonhoeffer, and I think he's spot on, what is the heart of original sin? It is wanting to stake autonomy from God. It is wanting to say, I'm not who I am, which is the image of God. And I, I want to somehow live apart from whose image I have been made in. And, and that's devastating. And that mm. brings all kinds of evil into the world. The notions of evil, I've, as we've been talking about it and thinking about it, I almost feel sometimes I tend to view evil as either something that's out there mm-hmm. in kind of a spiritual sense yeah. or something that is done to me mm-hmm. or done to someone mm-hmm. but not something mm-hmm. that I partake in because I, I know Jesus and I'm saved or I'm clean or I'm sure I might do the odd yeah. bad thing. Yeah. But the more I think about it, um, at any given moment in my day, I'm able to partake in the divine or the powers of death and destruction. Mm-hmm. And the more that I think about that, I'm, it kind of blows apart that notion that evil is kind of off there. There's like demons hiding in the corner where I can't see them yeah. or there's bad people out there who might mug me. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. yeah I'm, I'm not sure if that's a correct way of thinking it, but it's my attempt to make sense of the problem of evil. Yeah, and, 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 and I think it's true to say that, that all of what you said is true. So are, th- are there sometimes evil forces in the world? Yes, I think there is. I think the demonic is a real thing. Mm, mm, uh, yeah. Do I sometimes need to look deeply within and say the demonic lies within? Uh, in terms of it's me, I am the dust of the earth. I am frail. And if I ever think that I'm not, then, then I am deluded mm. and, and, and dangerous. Am I a sinner? Yes, I am. Am I sinned against? Yes, I am. So, 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 so because I am sinned against, sometimes, yes, terrible things happen to me and I fume and I rant and I rave and all of the above is true, all of the above. And, but, but you know what, there's not that much that I can do about the sinner outside. I can, mm-hmm. only do, I can only really deal with what lives within and therefore my particular task is to say, let me look at the shadow within and see how the grace of God transforms that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested just to ask now, in light of Christ, um, yeah, like you said, we're in a different kind of part of the story. How do we make sense of evil and suffering? Um, let's say you know we are subject to evil and suffering. In light of Christ, how do we how do we carry that? I know that you know the common thing at the moment is to say you know there's purpose in your pain or uh, refrains like that, which might not totally be wrong, but sometimes they're unhelpful, especially if you're experiencing great. Yeah. Pain or Everything suffering. happens for a reason. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's, you know, if you're facing terrible diagnosis, or that's mm. really not helpful. Yeah. 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 What would you what would you say about that? So, so, so I wouldn't want to respond with a trite, you, you know, what there's purpose in your pain or whatever, because that's just annoying, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> and, and isn't particularly helpful. Uh, but, but maybe, um, so one of the books I'm reading at the moment uh, by Samuel Wells uh, is uh, called, what, Improvising, uh, the the glory of Christian ethics or whatever its subtitle is, I can't quite remember. But but Samuel says, okay, so so we're in this fourth act now. Um, we look back to the Jesus act and we look ahead to the, the, the fifth act, the act of consummation, and we ask ourselves the question, how should we live? How should we respond to what happens to us? Well, well we don't have a blueprint. I mean, the Bible gives us broad guidelines. We have the story mm-hmm. of Jesus that we immerse ourselves in, and, and then we have to be like actors in a play. We have this fourth act to write, and we know that stuff will happen in this fourth act. We don't know exactly what that stuff will be, but we always have choices in terms of how we respond. 
And, and if we're going to improvise faithfully, uh, then we need to be people who, who know the story well. Because if you're an actor and you don't know what the script is, yeah, sure. if you've learned the first part of the script, you know, okay, this happens in the first three acts, then, then you have a sense of what's going to happen in the fourth, mm. particularly if they tell you how it's going to finish up in the end. Mm. So, so you know the direction it's going to go in. And you say, no, I must respond. No, no, if you are actually an actor in an improvising play, when another actor does something, you you really have one of three choices. Yeah, you right. you, you well, can you can block what they do to you or the cue that they give to you and just say, I don't like that, and you, you shut it down. Mm-hmm. Or you can can just accept, you, you know, and 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 then the third is what uh what Wells calls over accepting, or you can reframe it in some way. Uh, let me give you an example and then, then let me get mm-hmm. back back to your question. So so okay, I'll I'll display my age, Princess Di. You know, <laughs> back in the 1990s, everyone spoke about her endlessly and she was in the news the whole time. Her marriage to Charles is breaking down and a divorce is, is a pretty obvious uh, outcome that's going to happen. Uh, she gets interviewed by, by someone at that point in time and, and the interviewer says to her, so I guess this means you will never be queen. And she pauses for a while and she says, mm, but perhaps I can be the queen of hearts. Perhaps I can be the queen of people's hearts. Hmm. So, so what has she done then? Uh, she's she's recognizing. Okay, I always wanted to be queen. No, no, I could have just blocked the terrible unhappiness I feel in my marriage and just said, "Come what may, I'm sticking with Charles. I will be queen. It doesn't matter because I've got to be queen." That that that, that would be to block or to have a response of blocking. Just say nothing can can get this to shift from my mind. Hmm. She could have just accepted. You know, I'm divorced. Marriage is fading. Oh, well, there you go. Not everything comes off. I was going to be queen. I'm not going to be queen anymore. Uh, you know, so that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you just, just roll the bunches and, and that's it. You can just accept. But she does something more remarkable. She she over-accepts and she says, okay, so I'm not going to be queen, but perhaps I can be the queen of people's hearts. In other words, who wants to be a shabby kind of formal figurehead queen when you can actually be the real queen that you live and you reside in people's hearts and you impact them and you... I mean, it's an extraordinary way of mm. responding to what's mm. happening. That's extraordinary. And, and, and I think that what we could say is that, that here in the fourth act, that is what we're constantly invited to do. Stuff happens to us. So it's COVID-19 time. Uh, 600,000 Australians have been are unemployed and around the world, vast numbers of people have been mm. unemployed. Mm. There's uncertainty everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so what can you do? Well, you're one of those people who loses your job. You can just fume and you can rant and you can rave and you're a terrible employer and how bad and how unfair and they didn't even try to keep me and blah, 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 and you can go on forever. That, that's to block. Or you can just accept. Well, well, there you go. Lots of people lost their job. I was never a particularly good worker anyway. I guess it was always going to happen to me sometime. <laughs> you know, why, why shouldn't it happen to other people? It can happen to me as well. And so, so, so you just accept. But, but, but the trouble with blocking is that, that if you block, it's inherently an aggressive stance and, and also when you block, you often don't some, – something may not be valid and something might even be quite evil, but there might still be nuggets of truth in it. And, and, and when we block, we don't hear those things and we're not open to those things. Mm. But equally, when we, when we just accept, sometimes we land up as passive-aggressive people, mm. you know, because we feel completely powerless, so I've just got to accept, so I just do that. So, so really the Christian response in some ways is to do this over-accepting or this reframing. But I don't reframe mindlessly – I reframe in terms of the things that I most deeply believe. And I, I look at the life of Jesus and I say, okay, so, so Jesus goes to the cross on Friday and then resurrection happens on the Sunday. There, there is a hopefulness there. Mm. And, 
it's act four, it's not act five. I look ahead to the hope that lies ahead. And I, and I say, you, you know what, I am living in this story where we are spirit-empowered people. We, we know that stuff happens along mm. the way. Mm. How can I faithfully innovate or how can I faithfully improvise in the light of the story of Jesus and the light of the future that I know that I actually have? So, so I could be a person mm. who has a terminal illness. No, and I'm not going to say that that's a great news story, but I have open hands towards that. I don't just accept and say, roll over, that, that, that's it. I say, so how can I live in the light of the message of Jesus, yeah. the hope that I have? How can I dig in and say, I'm being invited to live my story now? I, I find one of the most moving stories uh, in, in, in the Bible is the end of John's Gospel. Uh, so Peter has just been reinstated by Jesus, and he's been told, you know, Peter, do you love me? Uh, feed my sheep, Peter. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And he, he gives this threefold affirmation that he loves Jesus, which kind of, you know, one for each time that he had denied Jesus before. But then Jesus goes on and, and he says to him, Peter, you know, when you're old, you're going to be led out and you're going to go to places that you do not want to go and your hands will be stretched out. And, and the passage tells us that by that, Jesus was indicating the kind of death mm. Peter was going to die. Mm. And it was a code for saying, Peter... You are going to be crucified. Everyone knew that. So, so imagine being Peter on that day. You, you get given this extraordinarily bad news <laughs> story. Your few, yes, Peter, I know you love me. You must feed my sheep. And Peter, at the end of that, you will be crucified. <laughs> you, you, you know, that's, that, 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 that's not a great good news story. And, and Peter does the, the very human thing. He mm. sees John walking in the background and he says, and Lord, what about him? So, so this is what's going to happen to me. Mm. Tell me that at least something bad's going to happen to him as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. Otherwise, it's just not fair. And Jesus says, "If I want him to live until I return, what is that to you? Mm. You follow me." And and it's this this extraordinary thing that Jesus does. He says, "Live your story," and your yeah, well, story might yeah. actually be quite a painful story. It might be quite a difficult story. It, it might be a story where you feel there are so many things unfair done to me, but. But somehow God is mm. saying, I invite you to live this, not just blocking everything because mm. you'll just be angry and aggressive and un unhappy, not just accepting everything because then you'll just be passive aggressive, mm. but somehow trusting that because yeah. I'm with you, I'm the incarnated God, I give the spirit to you, I, I will help you to do it. Mm. So Paul's thorn in the flesh that he prays to have taken away is not taken away, but, but Paul finds actually God's grace is sufficient. And I think that, you know, for all the evil and suffering in the world, in the fourth act, the answer is I am. I will be with you. I won't take it away, but I will journey with you. Yeah, well. And a fifth act is coming. Mm -hmm. So it's almost learning, you know, I think of Job's friends or um, I think it's in John 9 where the disciples are asking, well, who sinned? You know, this, this man's blind. Mm -hmm. So it's almost us relearning rather than asking why, it's asking that, yeah, what is God doing? Yep. And yeah. what can he be doing through this? It's the redemptive story yeah. that we're invited to play in. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's I suppose it does show the amazing gift that we do have in Christ in that um when you might get into an argument with someone around the practicalities of evil and suffering, actually what Christianity does offer us is a suffering savior who mm. is not mm. yeah. far off. Yeah removed from right. the human experience. Yep. He's patently human yep. and yeah. knows what it's like yep. to suffer evil against him mm. and temptation and physical suffering. Mm. And that's a gift because, yeah. you know, it's 
Well, it's a great comfort to me. I mean, I haven't experienced that much suffering in my life or mm. mild amounts of evil, but but I do take great comfort in that because he identifies completely with the human mm. condition. Yep. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's almost like quite ironic, right, that this is obviously such a huge stumbling block, yet the symbol of our faith is a cross. Absolutely. Is, you know, and, and, and one other thing, I mean, this I find it's just a pastoral observation. Mm. So, so I've been pastor for a long time. I, I have seen many people suffer things that are quite difficult. Not, not everyone dies a comfortable, easy death, and life doesn't go well for many, many people. No, no, it is true. Sometimes when people in the midst of that, you know, they they just shake the fist at God and say, that's it, I'm out of here. Uh, but I have been surprised that, that, that the people who seem to be most thrown are not the people who are in the midst of the suffering, but the people who are one step removed, who are watching on, and mm-hmm. they say, that's not fair, and they're, like, really angry. But remarkably, oh, oh. the people who are actually in it, no, no, no there are exceptions. I, I don't want to be naive. There are exceptions to everything. But by and large, I find the people in the midst of it are the people who are saying, it's okay. Actually, I think God is with me. It's okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll see this through to the end. And that is the, the promise in the end. In Act 4, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the world. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's a huge amount of stuff bouncing around in my head, and, and I think uh, the stuff that we've talked about whilst there's obviously still many questions, I think there's great encouragement. Yeah, from a, a, a saviour who who bears our suffering with us. Um, I'm just interested to hear some of your thoughts on, um, I think there is a, you know, an offshoot of, of Christianity where we would assume that we are free in some senses from suffering and from pain. And um, I think when I think about even this period of COVID, one of the most encouraging things is that that we're actually experiencing the same thing that our regular neighbours are experiencing. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what my question is there, sure. but we'll, sure, there's a there's a great communal experience yeah, that we're yeah. all having at the moment, and it's is an uncomfortability, and um, life is not all that we expected. Yeah. You know, life isn't always. Um, Onwards and upwards, the world isn't necessarily yeah. getting better in the ways that we would have thought we would with all of our cleverness and our modernity. We still yeah. have to face things in yeah. life like global yeah. pandemics and yeah. suffering and loss of jobs and all of that type of stuff. Yeah. But it's it's nice to know that we're all <laughs> we're all in it together, yeah. even though that can be used in a trite sense. Yeah. You know? Well, the, the, I mean, the thing that is really nice about this time, if, if one can say that, is that so often the world has been desperately unhappy because we've been fighting each other. I mean, so, so so much of human suffering is caused because for whatever reason we hate each other and, and we are aggressive towards one another. Uh, at least in this instance, we face, we, we're fighting a virus, we're not fighting each other. Mm. And there's a sense in which we're actually able to say we have a common humanity, we are all together, the mm. dust of the earth. And you know what, we actually, whether people are believers or not, we actually all recognize we're also the breath of God. And so we, I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, around the globe, people have been willing to put the global economy on hold so that people won't die. Well, who are the people most likely to die? Well, people over 60 and people who are vulnerable. For, for the first time perhaps in human history, yeah. we've said we're moving in a non-evolutionary direction. Evolutionary direction would simply be say, get rid of all the weak genes in your, your gene pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's the way you go. We're saying, hold on, that's not the way we're going. Actually, everyone yeah. matters. Uh, so 
So it's a very tough time, but I think there's some glorious things that are happening at the moment. Mm. That's awesome. I also have a question around rationality, but that might be for another day. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of like yeah. the, the, the notion that, you know, we kind of hold, we're trying to make sense of the divine by applying a human <laughs> rationality, <laughs> which God is probably not bound by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, well, 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 God isn't, but, but don't be too hard on yourself for trying because it is because you are an image bearer, you do wonder why. And, yeah, and, and, and of, of course, just the very fact that you wonder why shows that you are a person of faith. In other words, you assume that there is purpose because if you weren't a per- person of faith, why would you ever ask the question why? You just say, mm-hmm. there's no why in anything. This is random chance. This is an arbitrary world. There is nothing mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So, so, so the fact that we instinctively go back to let's try and make sense of this it says that actually we believe that there is actually purpose in the world. And this is a puzzle because it doesn't fit with our expectation. So, so in a strange way, the question why is a very faith-affirming question. Mm-hmm. Normally, I suppose um, there's maybe a reticence to ask the big questions for fear of getting it wrong or having a thread of my faith unpicked or maybe the house of cards might tumble down if I struggle with the question of evil and suffering or inclusion or creation or whatever the thorny topic is. Today's just just one of them. But um, but it's it's nice to, to be reassured by you with the... Oh, you the, must. The, you are less than an image bearer if you do not ask why because that's part oh, of who well. you've been made to be. You are the breath of God. Of course you're, you're curious. You're supposed to be curious. Mm. Love that. Uh, I'd love to um, also just ask, obviously we talked about evil and suffering um, in some senses as an external sense, but um, Reese mentioned the kind of the evil that runs, I think as N.T. Wright says, right through the middle of all of us. Yeah. How do we, that's a big question, but how do we manage that part of it? Obviously Christ gives us some helpful tools, yeah. but when we're talking about evil and suffering, how do we be people who don't just assume that it's everyone else, but manage our own yeah. tendency towards that. Yeah, I, I think we have taken a very, very big step step ahead when we recognise that evil is an internal category, uh, that it is actually me. I mean, the old uh, what song goes, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Now, now we have tended for whatever reason to drift away from that and to assume that actually I'm great, I'm wonderful, I'm marvellous. Yes, you are because you are the breath of God. No, you aren't. You are the dust <laughs> of the earth. Uh, you, you know, Forget either of those and you land up with a very lopsided theology. Mm. Now, now, I think that in the past we, land, we had lopsided theology that just said, you're a sinner, you're, 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 mm. you're the dust of the earth, you're, you're terrible, evil is deep within it, and just emphasize that. And so, so what you always get are these pendulum swings. So we've had the pendulum yeah. swing the other way. You're amazing, you're incredible. You, uh, neither. Yeah, not, both be, a half truth parading as an un, as a whole truth becomes an untruth, and, and I think it's important to, to recognize that when when we make this half truth into the whole truth, it's distorted and it's very misleading. Mm. Uh, we are extraordinary. We are frail. Uh, evil resides deep within. I mean, the Bible talks about Paul. Uh, you know, looks at himself and he he makes what objectively is an untrue statement. You, you, you know, he says, of all people, I'm the greatest of sinners. I'm the worst of people. I'm the, mm. And I don't understand the struggle inside me. Now, now, now when I say it's obviously untrue, uh, it's it's untrue. I'm sure there are worse, worse people than Paul, but it's existentially high experience. Mm. It's existentially mm. true statement. I, I'm shocked at the shadow inside of me. And and yet it's important to to recognize that all of us limp and that that shadow is there 
that it's real and we are not safe unless we do recognize that. Mm. Uh, we become arrogant, we become disconnected from who we are and we can do great damage. Mm. How do you think one might respond to a colleague who just challenges you on your Christian faith on the on the problem of evil and suffering? Because we don't often have the luxury of time to explain things and we might be further along our journey and we might understand, we might have come to a certain level of understanding of the Christian faith. Mm. Um, but, but it's, it's hard to regurg- like, yeah, yeah. regurgitate yeah. in a in a minute over Smoko on a building site, mm. you know. Mm. Um, how, yeah. What might be a helpful way that we can engage in the conversation without, um, you know, kind of getting into some kind of very quick stalemate? Sure, sure. Well, well I guess... For, for me, the intriguing thing is that people ask the question. Because the moment you ask the question, you, you, you are, and it goes back to what I was saying just a little while ago, you are actually, it's a faith statement. Because you're saying, why does this person do that? Well, well, actually, if there is no God, if there is, if the world is just random chance, the answer is, there's no reason. It's just, you know, you roll the dice and some people get double sixes, some people get, get the ones, Tough. That's the way it was for you. There's, there's no. Yeah. I mean, you. Why, why bother to ask the question at all? So the fact that you ask the question is so intriguing that somewhere inside of yourself you sense life is not arbitrary. Life is not random. There is purpose, and and you say that because you see so much beauty and goodness, and part of you wants to claim that for for all the time, and and the Christian story does say, and and I wouldn't suggest that you use this particular phrase, but it does say that justice is an eschatological concept. <laughs> you know, that's that's the end of the story, that, 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 that ultimately things are put right in the fifth act and we are not living in the fifth act yet. But it brings the hopefulness of saying there is a fifth act. If you don't believe in God, that's it. You die and everything's unresolved and that's just the way it is and that's just the way it is. But why bother to ask the question then? But seeing how you've asked the question actually do believe that there's an answer and that answer is that ultimately God sets all things to right uh, and that's that's ultimately very hopeful. And, mm. and and so he sets all things to right and and along the way he gives us Jesus who's incarnated and says, and you know what, you don't have to do this on your own. Yeah. And so the extraordinary invitation for people is, yes, you might suffer, but you never have to be alone. So, so claim that great resource from the faith of the presence of Jesus through the Spirit. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can email us at podcast at riverviewchurch.com and we're on social media. You can get in touch on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is at riverviewonline. And we also live stream our Sunday services at 10 a.m. Australian Western Standard Time. That's UTC plus eight if you're not in Australia. And that'll be available on Facebook and YouTube. And the stream is also available for 24 hours afterwards. Our music today is by the super talented Andrew Warong. Until next time, keep having conversations. Everybody in here that's on the verge of a breakthrough, give God a rain dance right now.